Hello again, it's Dr. T, and welcome back to Live from 35, the podcast dedicated to keeping our staff at Skodak Internal Medicine and Pediatrics in the loop on the happenings at 35 Empire State Boulevard during the COVID-19 pandemic. As we approach May 15th, we are all awaiting Governor Cuomo's decision as to whether he will extend his pause order or whether some of the restrictions in place will be relaxed. During the last several weeks, life certainly has changed for all of us, and I hope we all come out of this with a renewed positive outlook and renewed purpose in our lives. Though we all have to be apart so we can be together again later, I take comfort in those stories you hear often where a total stranger will try to connect with someone they haven't even met to show their support and solidarity with their fellow human being. Think about that farmer in Kansas who wrote Governor Cuomo a letter of support last week, which he sent along with an N95 mask that he wanted to give to the governor to ensure it got to a frontline health worker who might need it. There was also the story last week about the young Australian boy Corona DeVries, who wrote Tom Hanks to ask how he and his wife were doing after the actor had been treated for coronavirus while visiting Australia. The young boy wrote about how he was proud of his first name, but because of it, he was being bullied. In typical Tom Hanks fashion, the actor sent a letter back to the young man and addressed it, Dear Friend Corona, and even sent him one of those precious vintage typewriters he collects so Corona could type some letters back to him, thus giving this very special young man a very famous pen pal. Hanks ended the letter by saying, P.S. You've got a friend in me. The famous line and song from the movie, A Toy Story. During this time, where you sometimes might feel alone and worry that you are all by yourself, remember to reach out to your friends and family and maybe others out there that you don't know well but might need someone to talk to or need help from you, even from a distance. If we can all do that, we will have truly gained a lot by going through this challenging time. With no further delay, let's get started with the update for the week of May 4th, 2020. First, the celebrity birthdays for this week. May 4th is the 55th birthday of country star Randy Travis. Actor Will Arnett turns 44, and for all of you NSYNC fans, Lance Bass turns 35. May 5th is the 71st birthday of Michael Palin from Monty Python. Drummer Bill Ward from Black Sabbath turns 66, and Adele turns 26. May 6th is the 69th birthday of Bob Seger, and George Clooney turns 53. May 8th is the 88th birthday of Don Rickles. May 9th is the 78th birthday of Albert Finney, and Billy Joel officially qualifies for Medicare, and he turns 65. May 10th is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you out there who are moms, and let's remember all of our moms on this very special day. Happy birthday to my wife, Nora as well as to you too's Bono, who turns 54. Before I get to the holidays we celebrate this week, let me note that May 2nd is apparently World Naked Gardening Day, which also happens to fall at the same time that we are supposed to mark National Lyme Disease Awareness Month. I suppose that whoever coordinates those two celebrations should have a little chat. May 4th is National Star Wars Day and National Orange Juice Day. May 5th is National Astronaut Day and National Hoagie Day. 
and of course, El Dia del Cinco de Mayo. May 6th is National Nurses Day. Thank you to all of our nurses for all that you do for the practice, and we thank all of our nursing colleagues who have been fighting coronavirus on the front lines. May 6th is also International No Diet Day. May 7th is National Roast Leg of Lamb Day, and May 8th is National Coconut Cream Pie Day. It's time for the coronavirus news. As May 15th approaches, it appears increasingly likely that Governor Cuomo may loosen the pause order for our region. You'll be hearing a lot in the news about an epidemiologic term called r naught, which you sometimes see as a capital R with a subscript zero. Put simply, it is a term used to represent the number of new infections that are estimated to come from a single case of an infected person. For example, an R0 of three means that one person with a disease would potentially give that disease to three other people. As you can imagine, if those three other people gave the infection to three other people each, the geometric progression escalates quickly, and without intervention, you have the infectious disease equivalent of a wildfire. The calculation of R0 is actually quite complex. It has to take in various factors, such as how easily the disease is spread, and also the interplay of human behavior. For example, where we gather, how often we might come into contact with each other, and how susceptible others are to the illness being studied. Because of these hard to calculate factors, often there is no consensus on what goes in to measure a particular R naught. And by the fact that human nature is involved, there is a built-in unpredictability to the measurement. Yet, this is a metric that many government officials are planning on using in judging on when to relax restrictions, and perhaps when to tighten them again should the R0 start to trend back to a dangerous level. With COVID-19, the estimated R0 is somewhere between 2 to 2.5, or put more simply, one person with COVID-19 has the potential to infect two to two and a half other people. Most public health experts recommend that the R0 should be kept below one as much as is possible. Places in the world that contained COVID-19 relatively more successfully than others have been able to get their R0 below 1. With COVID-19, it is felt that an R0 could drift upwards towards 1.2 before social distancing and lockdowns would need to be reimposed, because it is at that level that the capacity of most healthcare systems would be overtaxed. Stay tuned to the news, and you will hear more about R0 over the next several weeks. The governor mentions this metric almost daily in his press conferences. Going hand in hand with the R0 metric is the continuous push for testing that has also been in the news. Testing for the virus, for those who are acutely ill, continues to ramp up, but there is still a lack of access to testing in many places in the country. Locally, we have been very fortunate that testing continues to be made available to more and more people, and this week, a test site will finally open in Rensselaer County. Without testing, it will be very difficult to reopen our economy without being able to detect who is ill so they can be quarantined quickly to prevent the spread of illness. We talked a couple of weeks ago about antibody testing. Last week, the World Health Organization put out a statement where essentially they said that it is still unknown whether the presence of COVID-19 antibodies actually confers immunity. 
Despite this, there is a push to make antibody testing more widely available to see if we can better identify who has been exposed to COVID-19 because there have been many people infected with COVID-19 who are lucky enough not to have any symptoms. Just like the calculation of r naught, all testing for COVID-19, whether for the acute illness or for people who have recovered, it will be a necessary pillar for how we move forward in this new normal that we have acquired, certainly until there are more effective treatments and hopefully a vaccine. We are fortunate that at CCP, we can test for the virus at our own mobile testing facility in Latham, and also the IgG antibody for when people have had or suspected they have had an infection. Antibody testing can be done at any lab care site, or even our office is a blood draw that gets sent out to the main lab. Later this week, we may also be able to gain the ability to test for the IgM antibody against the COVID-19 virus. IgM antibody is the type of antibody that gets made before IgG antibody, and its presence may help determine where a patient is in their recovery from a COVID-19 infection. Speaking of treatments, there was some positive news late last week that remdesivir, an agent that was being given to some critically ill COVID-19 patients, had enough positive data behind it that it might be used more regularly to help shorten the course of COVID-19. Remdesivir was originally developed to be used against Ebola before it was redeployed for use during the current pandemic. In the study that was announced by Dr. Anthony Fauci, 1,063 patients were randomly assigned to get either remdesivir or a placebo. Those who got the drug seemed to recover four days sooner than those who got the placebo. There were also fewer deaths in those that got the drug, but those results were not statistically significant. Although this seems to be good news, the results still have to be reviewed by other scientists not involved in the trial to make sure the conclusions are truly valid. It is possible that the FDA will move towards giving official emergency approval to the use of remdesivir, which would make it much easier to obtain and give to ill patients. Currently, its use is restricted to those enrolled in a study or under a compassionate use agreement as a last ditch effort to save critically ill patients. There was another interesting treatment that was in the news last week. It has been known that women have been less likely to become acutely sick from COVID-19, and when they do, they are more likely to survive than men. Down on Long Island, doctors at the SUNY Stony Brook School of Medicine used this observation to start an interesting trial. According to the April 27th edition of the New York Times, researchers at Stony Brook have been enrolling 110 adult men and women aged 55 or older, who come into their emergency room with the typical COVID-19 symptoms of fever, cough, and shortness of breath. Sometimes they have pneumonia, and they are required to either test positive for COVID-19 or must be presumed to have COVID-19, and they must not be mechanically ventilated. The presumption of the researchers is that both of these groups that have been chosen have low levels of estrogen. Some are assigned to a control group and the others are given an estradiol patch to see if the severity of their COVID-19 might be decreased by the intervention. There is a similar study going on at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles with a smaller group of people, and unlike the New York study, the California group is all male and they will receive two shots of progesterone a day for five days instead of an estradiol patch. It will be interesting to see what the results will be, 
Of course, the men have been warned of the possible side effects of receiving large amounts of female hormones. It's time for news from the practice. This week, our provider staff will consist of myself, Dr. Leonidas, Dr. Gildersleeve, as well as Dr. Kedort and Mary Shirely, both of whom we are happy to welcome back from their furlough. My sincere thanks to Alyssa and Renee for their tenure with our pandemic response team over the last couple of weeks. We hope we will be seeing them back sooner than planned. Our support staff increases in size considerably this week. As we begin to move forward safely towards our new normal, Danielle and Chantel have rejoined us as of this Monday. And on Wednesday, Amanda and Mandy will be rejoining us. Mary Griswold, Denise Coons, and Tanya Johnstone continue to assist me with the management of the office. Don and Nikki are helping with referrals, medical records, and scheduling. And Denise Leggett, Betsy, and Christina are helping with triaging and with nursing support along with Tanya as we manage the growing number of patients we are seeing in person. Dr. Gildersleeve and Dr. Leonidas helmed the first Moving Forward Safely Task Force meeting for our practice on Tuesday, and they continue to help refine our plans in preparation for the resumption of somewhat normal operations. They will continue to meet weekly and review our progress and report back to the management team here at 35 Empire State Boulevard. Every Monday, Mary and I receive our weekly financial report. The week of April 20th, our performance was stable in comparison to the rest of the month. As we reopened the lab towards the 23rd of April and with the increasing number of in-person visits we had this past week, I expect that our production will increase considerably. Our corporate moving forward safely task force has published its guidelines and we had the foresight to implement many of the things that were being suggested. This has put us a bit ahead of other practices. I am cautiously optimistic that our practices voyage along the roadmap that we have laid out and continue to modify may get us to our destination much sooner than planned. I appreciate the patience that all of you on furlough have demonstrated over the last few difficult weeks. With that said, it is important that all of you on furlough be prepared to resume your duties at any time. There may not be a lot of time between when we call you back to inform you that your furlough is ending and when we expect you back. Our situation is quite fluid and like with everything during this time, very unpredictable. If you had asked me two weeks ago that we would be where we are now with the volume of in-person visits we have had, I would have been likely to give you a much different answer than our current reality. For those of you who have been on furlough, the practice that you will be returning to will be operating differently than the one you left on April 3rd. The cadence of our days will be different as we still have a lot of visits being done by phone and telemedicine. We will have robust screening in place for all patients as well as all staff to lower the risk of infection. For the time being, the Moving Forward Safely team at the practice will be responsible for enforcing social distancing in our office, which means that although it will be nice to see everyone again soon, we will have to keep a safe distance from each other. That will mean that workstations will have to be spread out. Those of us who share offices may need to decamp for other workspaces in the back area, and we will have to make sure that lunchroom seating and even use of our workout facility are in compliance with infection prevention guidelines. Please come with a flexible mindset, as this is a necessity during this ever-changing time. If you are a nurse or MA, 
you may find yourself with a different provider for a bit. If you're on the clerical team, some of your duties may also be changed. Remember, we must all work together to continue to provide good care to our patients in this very new environment. Some statistics for last week. We had 420 billable encounters, which is up marginally from 416 the week before. We saw 53 in-person appointments, or about 13% of our total billable encounters, compared to 24 in-person appointments the week prior, which was equivalent to 5% of our total billable encounters. My goal is to get in-person visits to at or above 25% of our billable encounters by the end of next week, with an aim to increase this number by 25% every one to two weeks. It is an ambitious goal, but one that will be possible with all hands on deck. And we have this news just in. Patrick will be rejoining the team starting on Tuesday. Now, he actually had reached out to me. He wanted to hear a song played. Unfortunately, Patrick, Neil Diamond has not licensed his songs to be played on Spotify. So I found you the next best version. So here you go. It's time for the reminders. If you are returning to work from furlough, please remember that although we try our best to get human resources and IT to unfreeze your email accounts, computer access, and security fobs before you arrive back to work, there can be a delay. On your first day back, you may have to come to the front door to be let in. I also suggest that you arrive a little bit early in case your computer access is still blocked, so we have ample time to contact the help desk to reactivate your login information. Please also remember that our daily staff briefing starts promptly at 7.40 in the morning. To comply with our new safety guidelines, please remember that wearing a mask while in the building will be mandatory. Going forward, each employee will be assigned one mask a day. This mask should be reused unless it becomes soiled or damaged. In addition, your temperature will be taken every morning and recorded, and if it is out of range, we will be sending you home. If you're feeling ill, please don't come in and let your supervisor know that you will be staying home. In all common areas in the practice, especially in the break room where it might be impossible to wear a mask while you are eating, please make sure that you are at least six feet away from your nearest colleague. Unless we are having a meeting, the main conference room can be used as a lunch spot, as well as the Lehane reading room and the staff relaxation room. Please remember to respect social distancing guidelines in your workspaces as well. If you are interested in participating in the encouragement and support group WebEx sessions that are being held by the community care behavioral health staff, please see the group text that will be sent out with the announcement of this week's Live from 35 episode release. Currently, these are held at noon on Wednesdays and Fridays, and each session lasts for 45 minutes and is led by Dr. Stone, the director of the Behavioral Health Program. Remember that you are welcome to listen to the WebEx talks that Dr. Musto gives on Monday and Thursday nights at 5.30 p.m. Again, please consult the login information that I will send out on the group text announcing the release of this week's podcast. As a friendly reminder, Governor Cuomo has signed an executive order that requires the wearing of a facial covering when in public when social distancing of greater than six feet cannot be maintained. If you are going to wear a mask outside of the office, please do not use the one that you use during your work day. Please remember to limit your trips out of the house to only those trips that are essential, and remember to continue practicing social distancing outside of work.
Now, we've come to the end of this week's edition of Live from 35. If you have anything that you want addressed or announced on next week's edition, please let me know. Until next week, stay safe, stay well, and take care of yourself, and look out for those who may need help. On a final note, you might remember a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I told you the story of Lele and Ying Yang, the two giant pandas from the Hong Kong Zoo, who after essentially ignoring each other despite being kept together for the past decade in the same location, finally found love in the time of coronavirus and engaged in a, quote, successful evolutionary mating process, unquote. There's an update on this story. A report from the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, features an interview with panda researcher Jim Harkness. The Hong Kong Zoo continues to monitor Ying Ying for signs of pregnancy, which might be seen as early as the end of next month. In this interview, Mr. Harkness talks about how other zoos with panda couples have learned from the Hong Kong Zoo and are trying to take advantage of the pandemic lockdown to provide their panda bears with a bit more privacy, hoping that they will follow the lead of Lele and Ying Ying. Mr. Harkness mentions in the interview that up until now, many zoos were showing their pandas videos of other pandas engaging in successful evolutionary mating processes. I don't know about you, but I am not sure what is more disturbing. The fact that there is some poor character out there who has to make panda mating videos, or that zoos actually think that showing pandas these special videos will be effective in getting them to mate. Perhaps both of these things are disturbing. Well, in case any pandas are listening to this podcast, I guess we will just do our part and end with some music to inspire you while you attempt to enjoy your newfound privacy. Catch you next week. I'm live from 35.